Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Morning. There we are. Morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. And if you guys are tuning in online, again, thanks for being here. We're so excited that you can join us as well. Uh, But as we get started, um, when I was growing up, my grandfather, uh, I called him Pap, he had the most bizarre sayings. Um, And most of them, honestly, I couldn't tell you here publicly. Um, Love my pap. Uh, But he, (laughs) um, this one's pretty tame. But when he would, he would catch me talking to myself for whatever reason. He would say, Jason, or he actually called me Jaybird, whatever childhood nickname. He'd he'd say, Jaybird, you know, you got to be careful. Uh, They put people in the loony bin for a lot less. And what I should have said is, Pap, of course I'm talking to myself. I need an expert opinion, right? <laughs> but isn't it strange how we talk to ourselves? We, we all do this, right? And we, our conversation usually goes like, ah, I should do this, but I don't want to, or I could, but I, I shouldn't. But we, we all get into this where we talk to ourselves, and often it's um, internal. Sometimes it's external, sometimes it's out loud, but often it's internal, right? And, and we, we say things to ourselves, and we have these internal narratives. And it's almost like we have two of us in there, or, or sometimes three. And if you have more than three, like, be careful, right? <laughs> But we have these conversations, and, and we get down to this really important question of why. Why did this happen? And we can't help it. It's human nature, right? We, we have this habit of imposing a reason on randomness. And what we do is we create a narrative in, to make sense out of things. And in fact, the worse the incident or the more personal the incident, um, the harder we work to make sense out of it, regardless of our worldview. We create, and this is so important, we create and abide by our self-imposed narratives, whether they're accurate or not, and this can lead you to become your own worst enemy. So today we're, we're in part two of this series, Your Own Worst Enemy, and what Pastor Brian said last week is you have the potential to do anything you've seen someone else do. And we know this because you were a part of 100% of your bad decisions, right? You were there for every single one of them. And last time we said that a single bad decision is the first step toward becoming your own worst enemy. Pastor Brian put it like this, he said, every habit begins with a first time. Every pattern begins with a first line. And every journey begins with a first step. And if you weren't able to uh, be here last week, please go to hillcountry.life and and, uh, catch up. Uh, It's so important because last week it was habit number one on not becoming your own worst enemy. And it was pay attention to the tension, okay? That was step one. Step two, after we do that, is what we're going to be talking about today. And it's pay attention 
to your narratives. Pay attention to your narratives. And I want to make sure we're all on the same page as it comes to our narratives. So I want you to think back to when you were in high school and the internal narrative you had as it relates to your parents. Do you remember how dumb they were, right? Do you remember how uncool they were and how they just didn't get it? Do you remember that? Right? And then, then you got to your 30s, and all of a sudden, uh, they weren't so dumb anymore. And they, it didn't matter how uncool they were. And you didn't even get to your 30s. This happened in your 20s. And, and why did that happen? Because you had an internal narrative that you told yourself and that you lived out, and it got you in trouble in high school. Now, think about uh, your internal narrative in high school as it pertained to school. For many of you, it was, oh, school's just such a waste of time. School's just such a waste of time. And then you'd get your very first cell phone, your multi-hundred-dollar uh, mobile device that your loser parents bought you, and you would start texting your, your friends, oh, school's such a waste of time, school's such a waste of time, on a device created by people that went to school. But that never occurred to you, did it? Right? Because you had an internal narrative. And you believed it, and you lived it out. And here's the thing. We still have these types of narratives today. So here's some of the things that drift through our minds that shape our decisions. And I'm going to go through a bunch of them real quick just to make sure we're all moving in the same direction this morning. Um, and you can fill in the blanks for these. But these are things that drift through our mind, thoughts that, that shape our decisions. I deserve better. I'm entitled to. I should be further along. I'm, I'm not happy. He should be. If she loved me, right, they don't care. They don't care. It doesn't matter. They, they don't care. I'm not going to try because they don't care. It's not going to make any difference. Sometimes we say, I can't. I can't do that. Or I'm too busy. I'm better than that. I'm better than them. They're just losers. The whole category, they're just, they're just losers, I don't even have to consider them. They don't, they don't deserve that. If, if they would just try harder, you know, what, you know what their problem is? They just don't try hard enough, right? They don't work hard enough. That's their problem. For some of us, it, we tell ourselves, I, I can't resist. I just, I just can't resist. Well, why? Well, I don't know. Something's wrong with me. I just can't resist. Or maybe it's, I can't live without. Or... Republicans are all, or Democrats are just, right? If my mom hadn't, if my dad had, Southerners, right? Redneck, guns, what's up with them Southerners, right? Northerners, well, just go back up to the north if you don't like it down here, right? Goodness. <laughs> I knew I'd get one, right? But isn't it amazing? This is the kind of stuff that informs our narratives. It informs how we view and interpret the world. And this is so important. See, narratives create excuses. Narratives create justifications. And it empowers us to avoid things that we really shouldn't avoid. And it empowers us to embrace things that we should really steer away from. See, our internal narratives... It fuels our pride, it fuels our prejudice, it fuels fear in us, and it really blinds us to our interdependency on others. And so these false narratives 
They're so difficult to overcome. They're very, very, very difficult to overcome. And here's why. Because our narratives, our internal narratives, are shaped by things that we don't have any, con any control over. See, our narratives are shaped by where we're at in the world. This is why you could see something happening across the globe on the news, and you can think to yourself, why are they acting that way? Why are they acting that way? Can't they just knock it off? Can't they just get along? I don't act that way. Honey, do you act that way? Like, our kids act that way, but we're going to get that out of them, right? Why can't they be more like us, like Americans? Also, you experience the world different than the person sitting behind you, right? You, you could be in the same city, you're in the same world, but you experience it different than the person behind you. And that shapes our narrative and what we tell ourselves. And obviously, the way you were raised shapes your narrative. Now, a whole lot has been written on this subject, but what we know is that the internal narratives, the things that we just confirm and affirm and tell ourselves over and over and over again, these things shape our decisions, and it has the potential, as you've uh, realized as you look back to your narratives in high school, it has the potential to cause you to be your own worst enemy. Now, the Apostle Paul was somebody who hated Christians. And so if you're here and you hate Christians, uh, Paul is your guy, right? Except that later he becomes a Christ follower, and he decides God's calling on his life is to go outside of the Jewish part of the world to the Gentiles and um, spread the good news and explain to them that God's done something for the entire world. But his challenge is that means that all these people he's talking about are to embrace a completely different value system, a complete, completely different worldview uh, that was introduced by Jesus. And so they have to let go of all of their old value system and let go of their old worldview. And so he writes this letter to these non-Jewish Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's trying to get them to rethink their narratives, the things that they just assume and the things that they tell themselves. And what's interesting is he uses military terminology, and it's so appropriate because these things are, are, are difficult. And so Paul is using this extreme language to say, hey, listen, if you're going to get rid of these narratives, you have to attack it. You have to attack it. And once you destroy those, those narratives, rebuild around the value system that Jesus introduced. But you've got to get rid of some of these things that you've thought and that you've believed, perhaps your entire life. Things that, that you never even chose to believe, but because of where you were born, like in what time period you were born, uh, because of what happened to you or what didn't happen to you, because of how you were treated, right? You grew up believing these things. So rebuild your value system around what Jesus taught, because he came to show us what God was like. But he's writing to this group of people who have these narratives already, these assumptions, and one of them was uh, people are property. It was just assumed, right? Anybody in the first or second century could at any time become somebody's property. You could be the, the wealthiest person in your town, and you could be somebody's property. That's just the world they lived in. Another assumption was that might makes right. That whoever has the, the most weapons and the biggest army, right, they determined what was right. It, there was no mor morality that everybody subscribed to. If you had uh, the might, then you made the rules, and that became right. And the third thing um, that was just assumed was that the little g gods determined the fate of the individuals. 
right? Something happens to a child. Well, that was just fate. Something happens to a woman. That was just their fate. Something happens to a, a whole village. That was fate. That was the gods. And uh, you can't trust them. You can't trust the gods. Uh, you have to worship them and try to keep them happy. Right? These were assumptions that they made. And to us, it's kind of self-evident that they're, they're wrong, and we can't believe they believed that. But so many things that are self-evident to us today are wrong as well, and they stand in contrast to the kingdom of God that Jesus was introducing. And so with that in mind, here's what Paul says to the Christians in living in Corinth. And really what he says to us today as well. This is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 3. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And literally, this, this is talking about we do not conduct military campaigns the way the world does. And when he talks about weapons, the idea here isn't like swords and shields. Uh, this is huge siege equipment, um, uh, like structures you would roll up to a wall to go over them, or, or catapults that you would use to, to knock down walls. These were enormous structures. In verse 4, he says, On the contrary, these weapons that, that we use, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And a stronghold was a, a wall that surrounded a, a palace or a city. And he says that the weapons we use have, have the power to destroy even the strongest structures. To which you might be thinking to yourself, like, what does this have to do with me? Because I'm not attacking stone walls anytime soon, right? But he gets, he gets to the point here in verse 5. He says, we are demolishing arguments. Not physical stone walls. Not, we're not trying to overcome a physical army. We're in the process of using all of our skill and all of our might to demolish arguments. And, and our application of this today, and even for them then, was that we have to go to war with our false narratives that drive our decisions. Again, let's go back to, to middle school and high school. And uh, I actually have a child in elementary school that is this way right now. I'm not going to tell you which one. Um, but think when you were back in, in that age. You were never wrong, were you? You were never wrong. And so our parents would lay in bed at night and they would say, how do we get through to this kid? How do we get through to this kid? Because why? Because they were faced with an impenetrable wall of argumentation, right? I mean, no matter which way they tried to get in, they couldn't. And we would argue and argue and argue. The Apostle Paul is saying like, hey, do you, do you know your heavenly father is trying to do the same thing with you? Your heavenly father is trying, trying to break through this defense system that you've built up by, uh, over time because of how you were raised or because of uh, things that you've always thought, what happened to you, what didn't happen to you. Those, and all of those things that, that we create that are narratives that, that conflict with the way God wants the world to be. God's trying to get in. He says in verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He says, we're coming against every high thing, every, every arrogant attitude, everything that, that puffs up um, beyond what's true and what's real in our lives, that we're to assault that head on every single day. Any narrative about ourselves, about the people around us, right? about, about um, who we are, we're to assault any narrative that stands in contrast to what God's revealed in Christ. And he gets so specific, he says, 
and we take captive every thought to make it obedient, right? To make it obedient to Christ. He says, here's what you got to do. You've got to take every single thought and bend it to be uh, what Christ taught. You've got to take every attitude, edit it, train it to be in sync with the value system that Jesus introduced. And this is why reading the Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is so important because we get a glimpse at what the kingdom of God would look like if Jesus followers, Christ followers, would really fully embrace it. In fact, there's an there's a interesting little piece of narrative toward the end of Jesus' life. Right? He got all his guys together, and he's summarizing his teachings and, and trying to get them ready for this next moment. And Philip is taking it in, and in John 14, he says, Whoa, Lord, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. If, and Philip was exactly right. If we could see the way God sees, we would be more inclined to do what God says. Isn't that true? If you could see yourself the way God sees you, you'd be more inclined to do what God says. If you could see um, others, if you could see the people around you the way that God sees them, you'd be more inclined to treat them in a way that honors God. And so Philip, he's right. It's like, if you could just show us the Father, show us what God's like, that would, that would be a game changer. That would, that would actually change everything, and that would inform our narrative. And do you remember what happened after this? Uh, Philip says, just show us the Father. And then Jesus, I think, he smiles at Philip, much like he would smile at us today. And he says this in verse 9. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for uh, such a long time. And he says this most amazing thing. Don't miss this. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus said, do you want to know what God's like to you? Do you want to know what God thinks about you? Listen to me. Follow me. Do you want to know what God thinks about the people around you? Do you want to know uh, what, how God views the world? Right? Listen to me. Follow me. Watch me. Do you want to live with a, a narrative that will actually correct all of those false assumptions that will inform your behavior and ultimately will, will change your attitude? Then follow me because I've, I've come to introduce this kingdom of God to the earth. And everyone, everyone is invited to participate. But you will never fully participate unless you go hard after these walls that, that support your incorrect assumptions, right? And your prejudice and your wrong ways of viewing the world and the people around you. Follow me. And you'll begin to understand that, as you, that you as an individual, you matter to God. And you'll begin to understand that, that the you beside you also matters to God, which means they should matter to you, regardless of their political persuasion, right? regardless of where they live or how they live or even how they treat you. Look, you're never going to get closer to understanding God than Jesus. And so Jesus could say things like, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, right? Every single person who hears these words of mine and, and changes their internal narrative so they can begin to live out and act out uh, what the words of Jesus is like a wise man who builds his house on a firm foundation, his life on a firm foundation. And then, then Jesus has a warning that goes with that, though. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And so, like last time, if you don't, 
you have the potential to be your own worst enemy. Then Paul closes the same passage with these words that really could be very easily misunderstood. But he's back to 2 Corinthians in verse 6, and he's back to this military terminology where he's saying, you know, we, we, we need to be at attention, on guard. We, we are at the ready. Verse 6, he says, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And the idea here is that we as individuals should be ready to react swiftly when these old narratives start cropping back up, right? That we should be willing to respond quickly uh, when we refuse or forget to bend our attitudes or bend our thoughts and train our thoughts to be in line with the words of Christ. So I have a question for you, and it's not a trick question. I'll, I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes, right? Do you have strongholds that need to be demolished? Yes, you do. And Jason, oh, that's so judgmental. No, it's true. And it's true of me too, right? We are always at war with the narratives that want to creep up and misinterpret the world around us, right? And so to get you started this week with this and to kind of meddle in your business a little bit, I'm going to ask you a list of questions. And most of these questions are not going to, they're not going to have anything to do with you. And you're going to be so happy that they don't. But a couple of these questions may just like hit you right between the eyes. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the narrative that pops up in your head whenever you hear these questions. And I'm not, I'm not saying that your narrative is right or wrong. I want you to be aware of them, right? And then maybe later today or later this week when one of these questions intersects with your actual life, I hope you will, you will pause and say, why, why do I think that way? Why do I assume that? Why, why do I respond that way? So here's some questions for you. Are you ready? Why don't you call your brother? Why don't you call your sister? Why don't you call your mom or your dad? For some of you, it might be, why don't you call your oldest son? Why do you drink so much? Why do you respond the way that you do when somebody suggests that maybe you drink so much. And I'll tell you why. It's because you have a narrative for all of those questions, right? Why did you move in with him? Why did you move in with her? Why did you file for divorce? What do you tell yourself about why you aren't more generous with your money? What, what do you tell yourself about why you don't pay your taxes? We have a lot of business people here. What do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself about why you despise Republicans or Democrats or white people or black people or brown people or immigrants or rich people or poor people? What do you tell yourself? What pops into your mind? For some of you, is uh, what, what do you tell yourself about why you gave up on the church? Why you gave up on, on God and uh, in the church? Have you listened to your narratives lately? And what happens to these narratives that we tell ourselves all the time? What happens to them when we hold it up against, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life? What happens when you hold up your narratives, your false narratives against God loved you 
and he loves the you beside you that he gave his only son. Do they start to feel a little small and a little petty and maybe in conflict with the value system you say you subscribe to as a Christ follower? What happens when you uh, put your narratives up against this, that you are not your own? You don't belong to you. You've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is a big deal. We could, we could spend weeks on this. Pay attention to your narratives. And so I got an idea. It's not my idea. It's Paul's idea, really. Let's demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Let's take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And here's, here's the commitment for this week. We, we have a commitment for each week. But this is it. I will demolish every narrative that conflicts with the value system introduced by Jesus. Like, wait, wait a minute. That, that doesn't seem like something Jesus would do. That doesn't seem like uh, something a, a Christ follower would think. That doesn't seem like something uh, somebody who believes in a personal God would believe or do. Right? I will demolish every narrative that conflicts with the value system introduced by Jesus. And you hear us talk about this all the time, right? Do life with God. Do life with God to live the best life possible. And this is part of that. This is what that looks like. It's tearing down everything inside that gets in the way of us living it out in the real world, to embrace his view, to embrace his values and his vision for the world. And because in the end, doing life with God will lead you to the best life possible. It really will. And when we do life with God, we make the world a better place as Christ followers. And when you do life with God, odds are you're never going to become your own worst enemy. Let's pray. God, uh, you are incredible. You, you did send your son because you love us, you love the, 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 the people around us, you love the world. God, we pray that you would help us work through this, the narratives that, that pop into our mind as we walk through this week. God, so that we can attack them head on, so we can embrace and bring the kingdom of God, the value system that you introduced to the people around us, so people can see you through us. God, this week, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough as these things pop up and these questions intersect with our actual life and dealing with them. So God, surround us with people who love you and love us, and we can work through this together. God, help us to pay attention to our narratives. Amen. All right, so this week, uh, you got some homework to do, right? Uh, as you go through the week, Think about, why do I believe that? Why do I respond that way? Why do I think that? And pay attention to the narratives that you tell yourself and confirm and affirm over and over again and question them. Thanks. You guys have a good week.